nice sunny day in London and I love the sun when it shows its face, right? Um, I'm Shagilola Salami. It is the Shagilola Salami Show. It's a podcast show set in a virtual cafe where we have virtually delicious drinks and pastries and have enjoyable conversations. Um, so without much ado, normally I would have some banter about the weather, but you know what? I've got a little bit of a head cold, so I'm just going to try and save my voice before it goes away completely. So let's see who I've got in the virtual cafe with me, who I'm going to have virtual drinks and hopefully an enjoyable virtual conversation with. So who's here in the virtual cafe with me? Hello, my name is Ruth Primo Berkowitz. I'm a first-time author, and I'm also a child of 13 children. I'm, I belong to a family that had 13 children and so many adventures that I decided to write about them. Um, and I hope that um, anybody who decides to read one of my books, they'll enjoy the adventures of a large family and kind of know how the feeling is of living on a farm and then moving to a city. And there's a lot of mysteries going on in the books too. But before that is, is starting, I would definitely like a chai latte with two extra pumps of spice and with uh, almond milk because that's my favorite drink and my favorite food to go with that is a orange scone with just a little bit of vanilla frosting on it. And that is my favorite drink to sit and chat with friends with. Awesome, awesome. I keep saying this to myself and I've really never gotten around to it. And I think I'm going to have to do so very soon, right? Because every time people come and ask for chai latte, and I feel like it's the best kept, is the worst kept secret because everyone asks for it and I don't know anyone who takes it. I really need to just change this and actually go and have, have one you know, and have a cup and just get it over with. You know, like when everyone talks about something so much and you're like, you know what? I need to find out what the hype is about. <laughs> yes, I do. And actually what it's so good about, I have a little 10 year old granddaughter and I introduced her to a chai, hot chai latte. And she says, oh, Grammy, it's spicy. I says, yes, you got my drink. So she now is into a hot chai latte with almond milk because you want to keep it a little healthier and it's absolutely delicious it's almost like a hot chocolate in some respects it kind of gives you that really good feeling inside it's spicy it tangles you know like wakes up your mouth and it's so cinnamon too in there it's really good <laughs> i am very doubtful that anything could be better than extra milky extra chocolatey hot chocolate i am very doubtful I do love hot chocolate. Oh my gosh. I do love hot chocolate. And I live in the United States and I live in the state of Pennsylvania, which gets so much snow that when it takes you like 30 minutes to get your coat on, your hat on, your boots on, your gloves on, your sweaters, whatever, your face mask, and you go to the car and then your hands are frozen. And I'll tell you right now, a good cup of delicious milky chocolate, hot chocolate with marshmallows is absolutely delicious too. Yes. See, yes. I, I, that's why I, you know, that's why I'm, I'm very snobby because with my hot chocolate, like I wouldn't have anything else because I'm like nothing. That is the best thing you can have. Nothing can compare. Right. And I think I say this story all the time. And if you've, if you're listening to the show and you've heard this story before, I apologize for telling it yet again, but I love telling this story. Right. So yes. when I was pregnant, 
last trimester, for whatever reason, every day at 2 a.m. in the morning, I had to have the creamiest scrambled egg, hot chocolate, and toasty. Right? I don't know why, but it was it was very peculiar 2 a.m. For some reason, I think my daughter was awake at 2 a.m. and we (laughs) needed to have that. Right? So now that my daughter is four years old, her favorite food is wait for it, scrambled egg, hot chocolate, and toast. That's, you know, we all have our crazy uh, cravings when we're pregnant. Mine was to go to Dairy Queen store and get a strawberry milkshake, and I wanted French fries, and I would take the French fries and dip them in the strawberry shake and eat them, and they all thought I was crazy. And to this day, my son has a strawberry milkshake and dips his French fries in it. (laughs) You know, it is the craziest thing because... With him, he is training right now for the Spartan. Okay. He's 25 years old, and he's training to go and do this world thing with running and lifting and everything. And he's like, but mom, the only unhealthy thing I have is a strawberry milkshake and french fries dipped in it. <laughs> you know, so it, it, there's something with it. I don't know what it is, but there's something with it when you're pregnant. <laughs> I think when children are in heaven before and they're in your belly and they're coming down, they have probably weird cravings in heaven. So that's why yes. when you're pregnant, you have to have these weird food because they don't know how to eat normal food yet. I agree. Amen. I agree. <laughs> Seriously, like that was just a weird combo, right? Yeah, but you know what? It works. It works because I'll tell you, all those people out there that are having babies and, and then sometimes the, the fathers, they gain weight too, you know, and they have to have the hot chocolate or they have to have the French fries. I yeah. mean, they, we all can relate with that because it's a fun time and you just have to eat what your body's telling you to eat yeah. because that's the law. Yes. The law of pregnancy. Yes. <laughs> Okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. Right. Now, I'm curious though, 13 children, did your mom push those children out herself? Well, what it was is I'm number eight and my mom and my my brothers, because there's uh, five boys and um, a sister. So, uh, well, we had one brother that passed away a few days after he was born, but the rest of us were alive on the farm. And my dad was a good looking, smooth storytelling musician. He had the gift of music and he could play anything that he heard on the radio. He would hear that song one time and he could play it on the banjo. He could play it on the mandolin. He could play anything. And all of my brothers are musical and they have all kinds of bands, country music bands and this and that. And I know I'm going off tangent here, but my mom, took care of us all because my dad worked down in the city, which was 45 minutes to an hour away. And he was a, you know, a singing barber, you know, and he was good looking and he always smelled good and he had a starch shirt on and everything. And, but what we didn't know is he had another family in the city that had five children. So I actually have a brother two months older than me and we all get along. They're really, and they're all gifted with music also and artistry. So um, growing up, it was really fun because we all we had this big, huge musical family, and uh, each person seemed to have their own artistry. But my mom actually gave birth to eight, and the second mom um, 
we call it the second mom. She was wonderful, beautiful woman, very kind. She had five children and then she passed away. And then my dad got married again and had another baby. Oh, so, yeah. So there was like lots of babies. <laughs> so that's how we became 13. Um, and we all kind of got along. Um, you know, it's kind of like a, a what they say, the, the new families. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it's all on how the parents represent it. And you just enjoy each other's gifts. You just enjoy each other's time. Even though some of the parents might've argued a little bit, they all, all the children got along. And, and that was the whole point of growing up on the farm. And then I moved to the city and I couldn't understand why my father didn't live with me. So, uh, you know, it's kind of, it, it all worked out. It was like fate. Um, yeah. And I got to, and that's how I got to my book called The Barber's Daughter and the Little Window because we moved to the city um, and then out a little window off the kitchen. I sat on a little wooden stool and I would see my dad in the barbershop and he had just opened it. So he had all these beautiful, you know how they have the little light for the barber pole going and it's all yeah. lit up. Yeah. I could see that light up, but sometimes he would have to leave and I couldn't understand why he didn't come with us. But then, you know, they explain that there's different families and my dad still loved me. Yeah. So it doesn't yeah. matter where families are. It doesn't matter how families come about. It's about love. It's about the love of family, your mom, your dad. It doesn't matter. You can have an adopted mom. She will love you. So my dad uh, would work in his barbershop. And when he didn't have a customer, he would get his mandolin or his banjo. He loved his banjo. And I knew that he was going to sing to me. And I would look out my little window and he would sing. And I thought he was a big king sitting in that barber chair. You know, the old time barber chairs that you had to climb up into. Um, So he was my king. He was my father, the king of the musical castle. So that's how I kind of wrote my books about the relationship that children have with their parents it doesn't matter who the parents are if you're biological or not biological Mm -hmm. it's about how do you have a relationship with somebody that doesn't live with you 24 7 but you still can you still can see your dad you still can see your mom and and they still can share those gifts with you you know like your mom has those traditions of recipes or whatever um my dad had the gift of music and kind of shared it with all of us and not only us the neighborhood, the neighborhood would come by and they'd watch him singing and he'd point up to the window and he goes, there's little Ruthie watching me. And I go, hi dad. And he would play music. It was such a fun time. Yeah. Even though my parents were getting a divorce, it was a fun time for the kids. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Awesome. Wow. I was going to, but then you said your mother had eight children. Like she gave birth to eight children. Yes. And when you give birth to eight children out in the country, uh, one, you can, you know, you try to, they didn't have a hospital. So on the way to where you delivered, you would, you could deliver at home. You can deliver in the car. She delivered one of my brothers in a car. God bless her soul. And my dad helped, yeah. <laughs> but they, we, they delivered us in a nursing home because the only thing that they had that had a doctor, they set up a room for the, um, the mothers that were the, you know, like they took care of the farm. 
They yeah. didn't drive, you know, back then you didn't drive. Um, they had a TV, telephones and stuff. So the dads or the uncles or the neighbors would drive these women to the nursing home and the doctor would be there. And that's where I was born. I was born in a um, little nursing home, which I don't, again, I don't remember any of it, but I hear all the folktale mm. about how all the different, because the woman down the <laughs> road from us had 12 children and wow. she had a few. Yeah. God bless them. God bless them. You know, um, and all the children were great living in the country. They all knew each other. They went fishing and swimming and, you know, you had a pigs and you had cows and it kind of taught you how to take care of animals. Yeah. You know, that animals have pain too and animals need to be fed and, and you grow a bond with the animals. I had a pet pig named George. So, you know, yeah, George, my, and then we had dogs and kitties and stuff like that, but we did bring to the city, um, uh, my cat and two dogs. So yeah. that kind of was another thing, but you still can share and all that. But again, to get back to your point, I know I'm going off on a tangent that yes, these women would have these babies in no pain medication. They would just be in the car. They, and God bless, you know, I don't think they get enough credit of these people who are on a farm and can't get to the hospital. <laughs> no, seriously, right? After experiencing childbirth myself, it's changed my perspective. Like when I see women who decide, right? And I think they're really crazy to do that. But when I see a woman who decides to go, they go through the first time and then they forget, right? Because babies have this delicious smell and you start craving oh, that smell, right? And you're yeah. like, yes, the first time, you know, I've forgotten about it. I can't remember. I think that is nature's way of making sure that the human race is propagated because if you don't forget, right, we would right. be extinct. But <laughs> I have to give the biggest salute to all the women who have decided, who decided to give birth to more than one child. Now, this is a really serious topic for me, right? Because we like to think that we've got all these technology, we've got all this support. So maternal mortality is quote unquote non-existent, right? right. But right. the risk to a mother, it is as high today as it was 20, 100 years ago. The only thing that is different now is medical care has advanced. But I will tell you my own experience with childbirth, and maybe it would help somebody and put all of this into perspective because I am a, I, I acknowledge the, how much of an impact serendipity and chance plays in our lives. Right. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Because you might say to yourself, like, oh, I've planned this and this. See, I used to be a planner. Oh, right? yes. Mm -hmm. And, like, I would plan everything. And I, when I look at my plan, I would be so smug. I would feel so good with myself. And I'm like, this, right? This is flawless. Like, literally, <laughs> yes. happen, that would happen. It is the most flawless plan ever. And then life would look at me and smile. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yes, it kind of life kind of got in the way sometimes. You know, they kind of, it's like a detour. It's like a life detour shine, sign where it says, hey, now you're a mother. 
you got to put some of those, you know, notes away. Cause I, I do write a lot of notes. Um, and I'm, a, you know, writers do that. Writers leave notes for people and not just one sentence. It's got to be like a paragraph so that we know we got it straight from one, two, three, four. We got it in a row, all our ducks. Yeah. But then that first baby comes and you're like, oh my gosh, where's my little notes? I don't have time for that. But you still try. Yeah. And it all yeah. works out, but it's wonderful gift in our lives. Yeah. Let me tell you my childbirth experience. Yes. Right. So this is me, the planner, right? So I, I, I am a firm believer, right? And in different Different people re will refer to what I'm about to say to you in different ways, right? So a yeah. friend of mine, she's very religious, right? And mm -hmm. so when I once told her this spirit, right, because she's very religious, she says that it's the Holy Spirit, right? So it doesn't matter what I'm, go what I'm going to explain. It doesn't matter what you're going to use it, right? Now, I believe, right, that, so I'm Yoruba, right? And in the Yoruba culture, right, it acknowledges both the physical and the spiritual that human beings, we are two. We've got our physical being and our spiritual being. And there's in Nigeria, there's this other tribe, right? They're Igbos, right? And they all, there's this saying, and I don't know how to say it in Igbo, but I heard the translation is that he who fights with his chi fights with himself, right? So when you're mm. the physical and your spirit is telling you stuff and you're fighting with your spirit. You're, you're literally introducing confusion into your life. Right. And so in English, you might say, this is your guardian angel, your intuition, your, whatever it is that you want to say. Right. So anyway, right. So I was living somewhere. Um, and there was a hospital that was maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes by car away from where I lived. And my spirit said to me, no, we're not gonna give birth there. No, that is not the hospital we're going to give birth. And then it chose a hospital that was an hour away from me. Oh. Right? I was like, okay, well, this is what my spirit is telling me. I'm going to just go ahead with it, right? I am not, I've learned to not argue with my spirit, right? And right. so I said, told my doctor, this, was, this, this hospital was not even in amongst the hospital that they usually recommend because they tried to do it based on as close to your location as possible, right? And it was not amongst the ones that, you know, would be, I said, that's where I'm going to. And then within the course of time, something happened. And then I ended up moving house. And coincidentally, I then found a house that was on the bus route that literally come out of my house. And there was a direct bus that would take me to that hospital, right? And Ooh. it was... 30 minutes on the bus, right? Okay, I'm okay. like, well, the heavens are actually planning this for me, right? So then D-Day came, right? The nurses always, or the midwives rather, would say that when um, contractions come, you know, you've got like false, false contractions. So my birthing partner was with me, right? So we we're counting the contractions. So he then called the hospital and goes, oh yes, you know, the contractions are a bit, you know, close together. And then they said, you know, go and have a shower. It's probably a false contraction, um, you know. And, you know, after you've had a shower, do count the contractions again. And if it's still, you know, within whatever the period in between is, you can call us again. So this oh, was 11.30. So by 12 o'clock, I'd had the shower and the contractions were still there. They then said, okay, you need to come to the hospital. So got ready took a taxi by 12 30 midnight we were at the hospital 
right? I had walked by myself and got went so went to see the midwife, and the midwife goes, "Oh, you're five centimeters dilated. This baby <gasps> is coming right now." And as soon as I got off the examining bench, right, my waters broke. Oh no! And in less than three hours, my daughter was born. So she was born at three twenty in the morning, right? Wow, it's fast. I know, right? But then this was yet the scary thing happened, right? So the midwife has brought up my daughter, and then she goes and she goes, I don't know why you're bleeding. I can't see where the bleed is coming from. <gasps> and in an instant, I don't know, it felt like film trick, right? The room was then filled with doctors. They go, Your blood, your body temperature is plummeting, and we have to put an electric blanket. So this is in the middle of London, fire was winter, right? But it's a hospital. The heating is up anyway. And my body temperature was plummeting. They're going, you're breathing uncontrollably. Next thing I know, they've got fluids connected to my body. And they're like, we need to take you into theater right now. And literally, that was literally. And then, so sometimes I was asking myself, now imagine chance working in a completely different way, right? And imagine if, I was walking down the streets of London and then I went into labor, gave birth, and then I was bleeding uncontrollably. Paramedics are not going to have that. No. They have my blood. They would not have any. I don't think the paramedics have a bank of blood supply to be able to check. I don't know. I've never been a paramedic before. And I just thought of all the different things that could go wrong, right? And oh. I, I accept that maybe I am a, an anomaly, right? But it's like, it scared me. I'm like, I've gone through that and you want to go and do it again? Hey, you are a brave woman. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's funny because it's kind of like that life stop sign. It stops you. And then um, because I have four children and it, you just don't know where they come from. You know, sometimes you're like, oh my goodness, where did little Billy come from? You know, <laughs> they just kind of show up sometimes, you know, and we love them all. But yes, I don't think that people in our society, you know, again, in the whole world, it is still hard for a mother, just as you said, in the 16th century, 17th century, yeah. you know, I mean, and then these people on the farms, God bless them. You know, they're very healthy, but still it is so dangerous. I am glad that you did get to the hospital and they did resolve it and you have a beautiful baby. Well, a little girl now who's four. I know, right? She's four going on 40. Oh, well, yeah, you know, yeah. They have a lot of wisdom at that age, you know. And then they even have more wisdom at 12 years old. <laughs> oh, dear, the joy. Right now it's why this, why that, why this, why that. Oh, she sounds wonderful because you want a child to see their environment and be very artistic. And I'm sure she's like her mom, you know, with being an author, you're asking why, when, how, where, you know, and it sounds like she's doing great and she's going to have her own probably books, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, because she's actually better than I am because she can actually draw. And I was like, oh, wow. does my four-year-old know how to draw? I cannot draw to save my life. Amen. That's me. I'm with you because I cannot draw. I can write, you know, and I can picture in my head what I want the images. But hey, maybe she can be your illustrator. Uh -huh. that would I know. But then she's also quite creative because she then drew this abstract thing and she goes, that's an obstacle course. And I'm like, I can see wow. that, right? Where she's like, 
future, what comes to mind? And she's then explaining the thought processes about how she came to her creation. And then she had another one. She goes, well, you see, and now we're in London. We don't have any natural disasters, right? And then she's joined when she goes, you see this, that's a table. So when there is an earthquake, you need to go under the table. And then that is the staircase that will take you to the basement. And then this is the bathtub. Wow. The bath. I'm like, okay. Okay. That's that's logical thinking at four years old. I don't even know natural disasters here. She, wow, maybe she's going to be like one of those specialist archaeologists that know how to do. You know, maybe it's just imprinted in her. That I wouldn't even be thinking about that. I'd be thinking about getting out and saving myself and my kitty and my dogs and my husband. Oh yeah, I did say the dogs and the kitties first. So I should say my husband. My husband, the kitties, and the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know? he doesn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he probably will, but he'll laugh. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's funny, you know, with with I know we're going going off on birth and uh, artistic abilities and stuff like that, but again, it's it's human nature to want to have you know a child. I don't know about having twelve or thirteen of them. Uh, my dad, you know, is a father of 13 or was a father of 13. It, it's an experience. Each one is an experience. And your, yours was life-threatening. Yes. You know, and that's scary. It is. Actually, the person that got scared the most was my birthing partner because he goes, wait, so that does that mean I'm going to end up being a single dad right now? Oh, because he was so scary, right? Because I felt like I was having an out of body experience. Because literally, one minute, like everything is fine, and then literally, your body temperature is plummeting. Like, for the doctors to say your body temperature is plummeting, and they're getting an electric blanket and covering it. It's like, we need to keep your body temperature off right now. And they're connecting <laughs> fluids, and they're like, yeah, we need to take you into theater to find out why you're bleeding. Wow. You know, I have to say that your daughter wanted to be born and was born really fast. <laughs> right because you know always they always say that you know it doesn't come as quickly and oh. some people it takes 36 hours literally right from the minute they say great come and we left the house we got to the hospital at 12 30 and they said you're actually in active labor now right so from 12 30 to 3 20 that was what wow that's not that's not very long exactly right so i'm like, like no, no. I mean, some people are in the hospital like 24 hours before they even have the baby. Yeah, and I read it because like, I'm like, this baby doesn't want to come, you know, should we go and start eating spicy food? Should we start <laughs> You know, we need to get this baby out now. I've had enough now. My daughter was like, woman, I need to come and see. I need to taste some of that scrambled egg, right, mom? He's like, I'm not enjoying the, the, the mashed up version I'm getting from this stomach. That's right. That's right. They want, she wanted to be born. She wanted to be participating and she may be helping people with earthquakes, which you don't have in it where you live, right? Exactly. That is very interesting. Child, she sounds up like a, a genius. <laughs> Not well, to she say- She embarrasses me, right? She embarrasses, she's the most embarrassing child ever. I will tell you how, right? So earlier on in the year, she was having recurring, last year actually, she was having recurring tonsillitis. And there was a uh, year, her breathing was so bad, the GP got scared and said, call an ambulance, right? So the paramedic came, her temperature was sky high, right? So this is how this child of mine embarrasses me. 
So the paramedics are like, oh my God, the body temperature is, you know. So we go into the uh, uh, ambulance, they take her temperature again, and in minutes, that temperature had gone down. She went into the hospital when they were doing their checks. This child of mine that was freaking me out decided she was going to draw pictures for the doctors and the nurses and was walking about. And so everyone was saying, oh, but she's walking about. She looks fine. Why are you here? Oh. <laughs> you know, then, I don't, I don't know why. I was a liar. Well, you know, I don't know how they, you know, like they get in the ambulance and they're recovered you know, or, or their temperatures down. I, I don't know why that comes with the children's uh, total uh, textbook thing, because yes, they do that. They, I don't know why. And I had to do that with one of my children. You know, the chicken pox shot? Yeah. Um, they make the children get that in uh, fifth grade here in the United States, just like a booster. Well, I gave, you know, she had one and, and my son had one who was four years younger than her. Mm-hmm. And she ended up coming down with chicken pox she ended up falling. I didn't even know she had a temperature because I didn't see any chicken pox. So she, she kind of fell to the couch and I'm like, my gosh, what's wrong? I touched her. She was burning hot. I took the thermometer and it said 106. I go, there's no way she can have a temperature 106. I call the paramedics. She goes in there and she had a temperature 103 in the ambulance. And she's talking with them going, I got pox. Look at my pox. And they're all over her belly. I didn't even see any on her face. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, and I said, I don't think she has chicken pox. She had the shot, but I don't see any chicken pox. Stupid me. I never looked at her belly. Yeah. So when they got in there, it kind of made me look like I was like, what is with this mom? You know, obviously she's getting chicken pox worse with the shot, which they usually don't do. Yeah. And then she had an adverse effect. But I felt funny because I didn't lift up her shirt to see if she had any pox, yeah. you know, the rash. So it's like, you know what? They just come with this little defect to try to get mom more crazy. <laughs> you know, right? Well, Making you us think. You about my yeah. food, right? Immediately yeah. on. So she made it look like I was just being over the top, right? I was being a crazy mom that was freaking out for no reason because she was there giving people pictures, right? But then oh, we get home, immediately we stepped into the house. Literally, I touched her face. It was burning up again. I'm like, just child of mine. Why didn't you make the doctor stress out? Why are you stressing me out alone, right? How come we were in the hospital for 10 hours? You didn't have a fever. Why did you wait for us to come back home before you had the fever again? You know, you know, I, you know, that would be a really good discussion panel because I don't, I could never figure it out with my children. We could never figure out. And it's always the worst time. It's when you're, you know, you have to do a meeting or it's when, um, you know, you have to go to dinner with somebody or it's when they're having a test at school, which I always wondered about that one, you know, because they pulled that on me too. Mom, I'm sick to my stomach and I have a headache. No, you're going to school. And then they come home and they have strep throat, you know? So it's kind of like, it just comes with, being a good mom and being overreactive is better than not really, you know what I mean? Not really checking it out. You know, I did check it out. She did have the rash on her belly, but I didn't lift up her shirt. And I'm like, oh my gosh, because I was so worried about her and her fever like you. And then they come in the house and they have a fever. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It comes like, with the territory. Maybe children plan these things. Maybe they have a discussion amongst themselves, right? Like, yes, you know what? We're going to, we're going to show mom up, right? We're going yeah. to be well-behaved outside, right? So that people will think we've got crazy mothers. 
Right, right. And they I seem so cute with their little puppy dog eyes. Oh, I'm just a little sick. You know, it's okay. Yeah. You know, when my daughter had strep throat too, we had to go to the hospital and and she's like, I just have a little bit of a sore throat. I go, you never told me you had a sore throat. You know, <laughs> so it's kind of, ah, uh, you know, um, it, it, you know, the, it's crazy. I think it's better to be overreactive than underreactive because my one daughter came down with insulin dependent diabetes and I thought she had the flu. So I rushed her to the emergency room because she, she just didn't act right. So thank goodness that we are overreactive and we love these kids. It's just, I think they sit before they're born on the cloud going, how can we torture our moms? How yes. can we get them crazy? That's what they're doing. They're sitting up there and they're having their hot chocolate on the cloud and they're going, Hey, we're going to really bug our moms. That's what they're saying. You know, how can we get our mom? I know they are. They're really teenagers, like 12 years old, because that's when it kicks in. The mode, I call it the code to drive mom crazy, saying that they're going to be at their friend's house, but they're not at the friend's house. They went over to the school, and then they're at the school at the football game when I told them they couldn't go to the football game, you know, type thing. So, but you have that instinct. You have that third eye in the back of your head, and you keep telling them that you can see. And that's what really gets them. I'm telling you, that works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but, uh, that, that, that was amazing. But yeah, see, it's like, it's, sometimes when you have these conversations, it just kind of like makes you realize the children are all the same. You know, some, some of the children are the same and they have all unique, unique personalities. And I think we should savor them you know, and, and brew them. And you try to not put your impression on them. Cause I don't, I didn't want my children to have, I want them to have their own journey, yes, but they yes. need to be a safe journey. My children, all four of them, I don't know what was wrong with them. I said, I said to my mom, I don't know. It may not be my child because my oldest daughter would always try to get her brother. They were 18 months apart. So I heard a big, huge scream one time in the bedroom and they were supposed to be playing. I just walked out for a few minutes. Uh, one was eight. The other one was six. And she told him to put a thumbtack into where you plug in your light. You know, the little plugins with electricity. I'm not sure what they call them in England. And he flew across the room. He got electrocuted. Whoa. Yeah. And then she's laughing. And you know what? My son wasn't even hurt. His uh, thumb, his thumbnail turned a little black. And I totally freaked out because you could see he got stunned a little bit. And then when he came to two, because he kind of like not passed out, but like you could see he was a little stunned, like a stun gun. Yeah. And he goes, that was fun. I can imagine you guys again. Out. I went over there and I grabbed him. I'm like, are you okay, Michael? Are you okay? What's going on? Oh, nothing, mom. We're okay. And I'm like, no. So I called for the paramedics. The paramedics came. I said, my son got electrocuted. And do you think he, all he did was hold up his thumb going, look, my fingernail turned black. I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I need my hot chocolate or something. You know, at that point you need coffee, hot yeah. chocolate, something to, to, but yes, I think that the overactive re-moms Go for it out there. If you get that funny feeling or you feel something, go and do it. Because you know what? You're doing the best you can. And that's what we do as moms, right? Well, you know what? You're scaring me now, right? Because <laughs> has, my daughter has the tendency to be a tomboy, a tomboy. And I'm thinking, huh, what have I got in future for me right now? <laughs> 
Well, it sounds like she's very creative. Yes. And if she's looking at earthquakes, you may want to check outside. <laughs> yeah, but we're in London. There are no earthquakes in London. I know. How cute that sounds, though. You know, you have to save that in her book and go, look what you did. Yes. You know, kids, kids are phenomenal. I think being a parent is one of the hardest things on earth to watch them hurt or be sick. But then when they come out with these, these greatest little ideas, you're like, wow. But then when you get like with one of my sons, we call him monkey boy because he'd like to climb. And I was pregnant with my third child, like eight and a half months pregnant. And you know, you can't walk and you're like holding your belly and you want to eat everything. And you just want the child to move out and find another apartment other than your womb. Yes. You say, you go to the door and the doorbell won't stop ringing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's one of my children's friends. Yes. And it wasn't, it was two firemen. Oh. And they said, Sorry, ma'am, but your son is up in a tree and we can't get him down. Oh, the ladder is too long. So here I am, eight and a half months pregnant. I'm waddling. I mean, because my baby weighed 914 when I had her. She was 10 days late, but I'm waddling out. And I said to them, where is he? Because I couldn't even see him. And he's like way up in the tree. The whole neighborhood's out there. They got two fire trucks. I'm thinking, how many fire trucks does it take? take to get a kid out of a tree and um I look up and I'm like oh my gosh I can hardly see him and I can see him waving but I couldn't hear him so they gave me a bullhorn you know one of those big huge you, you go and I go Michael you better come down down right now and, you know because I was really mad you know and I'm thinking oh good it's gonna put me in labor and I'm gonna finally have this child right <laughs> no I didn't have this child until a week later but he comes down and the firemen are going how did you climb that high? He goes, I just climbed. My friend came down though. He didn't want to, because the other friend, they did a dare or something who could climb the highest tree. And they, it, so here I am, I'm yelling at him, go, don't do that. You're going to make me have your sister. Cause I knew what I was having. I go, you need to stop climbing. And they gave him a certificate for climbing up the highest tree in our, our neighborhood. And he came back, the fireman came back like a few days later and did a whole thing about how dangerous it is for all the kids in the neighborhood. I mean, it actually worked out. He actually caused, you know, a whole learning curve in our neighborhood not to climb the biggest tree. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, it's very frustrating when things like that happen and you're like, well, what do you do about it when you're eight and a half months pregnant? And I'm like, well, maybe this will put me in labor, but no, we tried everything. Sometimes those babies just won't be born. Yeah, um, you know, and you do have these creative kids that like to climb and take things apart, which now my son is a mechanic. He works on all kinds of engines um, and he still climbs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, can so I talk about my baby one more time, right? And I think people are going to get disgusted. And look at this. Team. I know they're going to get disgusted with all this baby talk, and we'll get back to my book. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're talking about how my daughter like, likes drawing, right? And then yeah. the other day, our remote control, she took it apart. <gasps> she didn't. And she's what? four years old. And she was looking, literally looking through the inside of the remote control. Did she say why? Oh, she was just trying to figure it out. How cool is that? So I have a creative, you know, an artistic, science-minded child. Which is wonderful because sometimes artistic people don't have that. I don't. Like if somebody gives me directions, oh, don't give me directions. Don't tell me go on 49, do 222, turn right. No, you have to draw me a map. 
like your daughter draws a map, draw me the church, draw mm -hmm. me the cafe, draw me things where I can see. She sounds wonderful. Wow, that's I wonderful. Her, I, like, I wonder, I just saw her, she was literally, she had opened the remote, right? And she was looking at both sides of the, in, you know, the insides of the boat, yeah. you know, the two parts, right? Right. She was looking at it and she just kept crying. She was just taking, she was just taking it in. And I was just wow. looking at her. Well, you know what? Maybe she can come to my house and find my remote because my children, you know, I need a clap on, clap off remote thing because I never know where the remotes are. And then I need to know which remote is for my TV, VCR, or not VCR, um, the CD player, excuse me, back when the VCR, it's um, yes. the DVD player. Um, and then the surround sound. I mean, I feel like a gangster, like, a, you know, they have all these guns in their belt. Yeah. Well, I need a remote belt. Because I don't know what remote that my husband, because he's got surround sound and he's got, he's got all this different stuff. And then they have Xbox. I'm like, oh my gosh, what, okay, what remote, what remote? All Grammy wants to do, all this woman wants to do is sit down and watch TV. Okay, just want to watch an old time show, maybe Murder, She Wrote or something like that. I don't know. But hey, just find, and they laugh. I think sometimes they hide the remote just so that they can find it. Yes. yes. I told them I'll give them a quarter if they'll find it. <laughs> and this is a true story, true story. And actually my dog took it. I have a little dog named Leo who took, takes the remotes because the kids get soda or they get something on it that tastes good. And then he'll get it and he'll go underneath the couch and chew it. <laughs> so this is all true. This is all true. Yeah. So it's kind of like an adventure in my house to watch TV. So maybe your daughter is going to invent something so that we can find which I'm sure they have out there somewhere, can find the right remote to whatever I'm trying to deal with. The TV, the CD player, the surround sound, Xbox. What is it that I'm going to do? You know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. No, yeah. that sounds amazing. Okay, well, yeah, so your book, now let's go back to your book yeah. again, you know, because yeah. it's, it's nice when you can have a really chilled out conversation. And I think I speak for a lot of parents. We like talking about our children. So if you're not interested in parenting, I am really sorry. We, we kind of bored you. Yeah, we kind of went off on tangent. But you know what? It is true that we're all children and all people have families and we all have the same issues with these new age children, as I call it. They're just too darn smart. I know. I know. I know. What's with that? But to get back to my book, yes. What, what, um, is, what is your book called again? My book is called The Barber's Daughter and the Little Window, and it's based on a true story about a little girl who is very charismatic, and she's like similar to your daughter. She gets a lot of questions about everything, mm. and her family goes through a divorce. She has a lot of siblings, mm. and her siblings are like 20, some of them are 22 years older than her, so she's like, okay, that's my brother. Okay, whatever. And um, it's, a, it's, it's about her adventure with life. It's about her coming from the farm, going to the city, which the city wasn't a big city. It only had uh, one uh, main intersection. And I lived at the main intersection, but I thought it was a big city. And I lived across, it was, it's about me growing up with a large family and the dynamics of kind of like uh, my mom and dad got divorced. And yeah. in this particular first, the book, it's a series book. And this is book one. And it's about the day that we moved in uh, and overnight, we, it was our first night staying in the apartment. And I didn't, that was the day I really found out my dad, what I, I kind of like felt it inside and knew that he wasn't going to live with us anymore. But 
I could look out this little window at, at the other part of the kitchen. It was like a, a little pantry and nobody, cause it kind of had a, a, a slanted roof. So I could crawl under there, sit on a little stool and I looked outside. But the biggest thing is, is I really didn't like bugs. And that's kind of like a funny thing, you know, kids don't like bugs. So my mom would always tell me to find something pretty, find something nice with the bug because all bugs do something special for our universe. Yeah. And I go, uh-huh. So then when I was sitting by the window, there was this big black, well, it was a big green and black fuzzy fly. And it was flying around my head and it wouldn't leave my hair alone because I had really long hair and I would sit on my hair sometimes. And it was like bugging me. And finally, you know, as a little girl thinks about things, I had to find something nice about this fly. Well, the fly turned into a fairy and her name is Rachel and she's green and she's beautiful and she wears a teary, um, a, a, what do you call it? A little crown, a tiara. And um, the first book is about the relationship with me seeing my dad, who is an excellent musician. He can play anything and he would play banjo for me and he would make up songs to me and the whole neighborhood would come out because he was in the barbershop across the street from me. And when he played me music, I could hear it in the little window. And then the butcher in the neighborhood would come out, the gas station attendants would come out and they'd all listen to his concert. So when he was sitting in his barber chair, I thought it was a throne. So I made him the king he was the king of the musical castle. And that's what I did as a little girl. Kind awesome. of like, um, yeah, kind of. And I do have a second book coming out in October and it's called um, the little, uh, the barber's daughter and the pink frog pond. And we awesome. had to go back that we had to go back to the farm. And then my sister and brother is in the car and my sister is a, uh, and here's one of the little incidences in the book. What it is, is we're driving to the farm while I'm in the backseat of the truck. And we had a family, uh, a family friend who gardened on our farm. We had 138 acres. It was huge. And uh, my sister was planning on going fishing. So she yeah, hates yeah. sitting still. So she got the fishing pole out. And this is a true story. She had the fishing pool, fishing pole out and she threw it out the window. So she was showing me from the back seat how you do it out the window. And then she got it caught on a stop sign. And they had to halt the car because she was half hanging out the window. And her name is Pollyanna in the book. Yeah. So that's my second book. And it's got a, lot of, a little bit more pages and a little bit more mystery about the farm and the pink frog and the woods and, and how we deal with what's going on with the mystery on the farm. Awesome. And there's well, going to be a coloring. end now. I feel like oh, it's gosh. Like I have okay, to out of the cafe. Okay, take me out of the cafe. Good luck, everybody. Hope you didn't enjoy. I hope you enjoyed our talk about children. Yes, um, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I hope once I kick you out, you would hopefully come back again soon. I will. Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is the Shegelala Salami Show, and I have to run up, but I will see you again very soon. Bye now. Bye.